For years, the story has been told of a charity ball kind of setting, and a man walks in, a mature, a widower, a wealthy, handsome, and when he walked in, this woman across the room kept looking at him and smiling, and he made his way around the room, and every time he turned and looked at her, she would be looking at him and smiling at him, and finally he got up the nerve to go over, and he said, I noticed you were, you were smiling a lot at me. He said, do we, do we know each other from someplace? And she said, well, I was just taken back by how much you looked like my third husband. And he thought, oh, my goodness, third husband. He said, how many times have you been married? And she smiled and said, just twice. <laughs> That's hope. The, the, we're in a series of hope sermons, six weeks long. Um, the first couple weeks, we, we have to take a moment to kind of go down a little bit into an emotional pit so that we can understand really what God's hope is really all about. Um, special thanks uh, to Quentin Bone who represented his father here today. Um, Paul Bone is one of our elders. I've known Paul for 12 years. I've known this story for about that long of, uh, of them having a stillborn daughter that they named Hope. And uh, I've often wanted Paul to share that publicly. He finally he wrote it all out, but he, he told me, he said, I, there's no way I can share that. He said, you need to find someone who would read that for me. And uh, in that moment, I said, I think I have just the guy. I said, I think you should ask your son. And uh, he did, and Quentin said yes, and Quentin's back from college today um, just for this occasion. And then, and then the song that uh, Lauren just sang uh, kind of makes it... Uh, fully aware that this is a world where there's struggle. There is going to be darkness in this life. And uh, if you haven't had any darkness in your life, it's only because you're so young, maybe. Life is full of darkness. Life is full of struggle. Uh, God never expected you and I to hang on to this life. This is not what he wants you to hang on with a white knuckle intensity, this world right here. This world is going to pass away. What he wanted you to do is to have a hope of something better to come. Now, biblical hope is defined like this. Biblical hope is, uh, it's not eternal life. I know that's a part of hope. We all dream of one day having eternal life. And it's not the idea of heaven. Heaven is a part of our hope, okay? But what biblical hope is all about, biblical hope is defined as having this confidence and this deep conviction that God will keep his promises. That deep inside of you, you are totally convinced, nobody can take it away from you, that God keeps his promises. And when you get there, my goodness, hope just starts becoming the outcome of having that kind of a conviction. It is drilling your roots down so deep into God and, and into his promises and into his words, you allow your roots to go that deep that it doesn't matter if the branches are in the midst of a storm. The winds can blow, the dark clouds can roll in, and that tree can really be pummeled by the weather, but that tree doesn't fall because its roots go down that deep into God. It can't be moved. And my hope is built on that idea that God keeps his promises. Today, what you may need to hear more than any other is you will get through this. 
whatever it might be, whatever it is you're facing, whatever your struggle is right now, you're going to get through this. Even if there is darkness, hope is what makes people move forward. Even when everything is lost, hope is what helps people to move around and across and over obstacles. There is that thing in our life where circumstances can become difficult. And maybe your circumstances recently have punched you right in the face. And you're wondering, where is God in all of this? The prophet Jeremiah, he understood all this. The prophet Jeremiah was given a task, given a task of being God's voice to Israel way back in the Old Testament. Why does Israel need a voice right now? They are in the grip of idol worship, all right? If you'll just imagine that, they, God's people are worshiping idols. And Jeremiah is sent to them to tell them, you need to turn away from idols, turn back to God before God allows something devastating to happen in our life. And so here's these people, and you would think that they would turn immediately after hearing the great prophet Jeremiah. We all know him as the great prophet, but they don't turn. In fact, Jeremiah preaches this sermon for 40 years, and for 40 years they don't turn. In just the opposite, they turn to start to mock the prophet. You know, you said if we wouldn't turn back, something bad, bad. It's been 40 years, and they start mocking him. And Jeremiah. He, he is getting at that point where the struggle is so great. He's about to speak to God. But I got to tell you, when you read uh, this part, you're going to wonder, how did this prophet get away with talking to God that way? It's in the book, actually, of Lamentations. Um, we believe Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations. Lamentations is just what it says. It's the prophet lamenting. Uh, lamenting means to have deep, deep sorrow. Some of you here, you, you know what it means to lament. You know what that feels like. And the prophet is going to go there. But what the prophet does right, and I'm going to tell you this, the prophet just cracks his chest open. And he says, God, this is what I'm thinking. This is what I'm feeling. And you need to understand and hear it. You might as well be honest with God. He already knows how you're feeling anyway. Some of us, when we read this, you might be... You might say, man, I'm too intimidated to go before God and say those kind of things. Jeremiah does. But then he makes a turn. And the turn is where we're going to find a lot of hope today. Are you ready? We're going to be in Lamentations chapter 3. I need to walk you through a quick passage. But here is the prophet lamenting. He's lamenting toward God. Chapter 3, starting with verse 1. I am a man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He's going to blame God now. He has driven me away. He has made me walk in the darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again and all day long. This is Jeremiah saying, God, it feels like you're picking on me. Verse 4, he made my skin and my flesh grow old and has broken my bones. He has besieged me and surrounded me with bitterness and hardship. He has made me dwell in darkness like those long dead. That's a more physical thing that he's feeling right there. He's like, Lord, I feel like I've been run over by a truck by you. My bones are broken. My skin feels old. <laughs> Verse 7. He has walled me in so I cannot escape. He has weighed me down with chains. Even when I cry out uh, for help, he shuts out my prayer. 
Jeremiah is saying, God, I'm not even convinced you're listening to my prayer anymore. Have you ever been there? Have you ever just prayed the same prayer over and over and over again and all you got was the silence of heaven? Jeremiah felt that. Verse 9, he has barred my way with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked like a bear lying in wait and like a lion in hiding. He dragged me from the path and he mangled me. He left me without help. That's Jeremiah saying, God, this time you hurt me deeply. Verse 12, he drew his bow. Uh, this is Jeremiah saying, you're taking pot shots at me. He drew his bow. He made me the target of his arrows. He pierced my heart with arrows from his quiver. All right, listen to this. I became the laughing stock of all my people. They mocked me in song all day long. Well, we know that happened. Haven't you ever heard the song, Jeremiah was a bullfrog? <laughs> Just making sure you're still with me here. All right. Verse 15. He has filled me with bitter herbs and he has given me gall to drink. Uh, gall is ex intense bitterness. So now he's, he's been forced to eat bitterness, but he's also been forced to drink even more intense bitterness. He has broken my teeth with gravel. He has trampled me in the dust, and I have been deprived of peace. I have forgotten what prosperity is. That's Jeremiah saying, you know, I feel like I've been kicked in the teeth by you, God, and I can't remember the last time I didn't have money problems. This, this is a prophet of God being this honest and this transparent and this open with how he feels inside. You and I never again have to be afraid to go to God in prayer and talk to him about what we're feeling after you read something like this. Verse 18, so I say, my splendor is gone. That's everything that was good about me. It's all gone. And all that I had hoped from the Lord, gone. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness of, and the gall. I will remember them, and my soul is downcast within me. My soul is downcast. Some of you could have written that section of Scripture. Some of you have been th dragged through a painful situation, and you're like, I could have written that whole thing. I felt those things. I've experienced those things. I know exactly what Jeremiah is going through. And if we were to stop right here in our reading, you'd be tempted to walk out and say, oh my goodness, that poor prophet of God. He walks away from God. That's what you'd be tempted to think. You'd, you'd say in your heart, that guy is a guy who's done with God. He's getting off the God bus. He's not going to attend another worship service. He's not going to sing another worship song. He's not going to utter another prayer. That is a guy who is completely done. What you're missing is the very next word in this section. It's a very small word, but it is a very powerful word when you and I are praying to God. It's okay to be that open and honest, but at some point in your honesty, because the roots go deep into your belief in God, you need to have that turn in your prayer, and you need to utter one small little word. It's what Jeremiah is about to utter. Are you ready? Verse 21, yet. <laughs> Just stop for a moment. Don't, don't read ahead. Just amen. The word yet, how powerful that is. If, if somebody comes to you and they say, oh my goodness, I've just been run, run ragged. I am so broken. I am so hurt. Yet, what do you expect to follow? Something completely opposite than what you just heard. 
Here's what Jeremiah gets to. Yet this I call to mind, that means I remember, and therefore I do have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. For his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. And great is your faithfulness. Do you see where Jeremiah landed? Great is your faithfulness. Again, I know you will keep your promises to me. You are faithful God. That's where he goes. And from that, even more good things spring out of it. Verse 24, I say to myself that the Lord is my portion. That means he's everything I need. Therefore, I will wait for him. The Lord is good to those who hope, whose hope is in him. And the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good to wait quietly. Some of us might be in a waiting moment right now in our prayer time. Oh, we want everything so fast. You go to McDonald's, everything comes at you so fast. That's a confession. Or we go to Walmart, you know, here, I'm going to just tell you. I, if I'm at Walmart, Walmart always tests my patience. I know everybody's watching me because they know me, but, but it is a test of my patience. If I'm standing in a line, all right, and there's three people in front of me, immediately I start looking around for a manager going, why haven't they opened another lane? Have you been there? There's three whole people in front of me. Why don't they open another lane? That felt so good to get that off my chest. Thank you. <laughs> we don't like to wait. We don't want to be caught waiting. We want things now. We want things fast. And God uses waiting. <laughs> God sometimes takes his time. You're sitting there and you're going, where is my yet? Well, maybe... Maybe what you're receiving right now is not yet from God. Not yet doesn't uh, excite us, but it tells us something is still coming that's going to be good. Your yet is coming, it's just not yet. Uh, when kids and we're traveling, those young parents, are we there yet? Ah. Are we there yet? I'm going to pull this car over, I'm telling you. You know, we're not there yet, but you're about to get there real quick, you know. <laughs> yet, yet, yet. But even in their question, they expect that you're going to get them to where you said you were going to take them. Even in the word yet, they, are we there yet where you told me we were going to go? And God has made promises, and they might not be here yet, but you know they're coming. And there is a yet just around the corner for you. I was asked by a, a young mother to, she said, would you pray for my son? He's not saved yet. And I looked at her with a big grin and I said, I said, you said yet. And she goes, I did. She goes, I, I just, I'm convinced he's going to be saved someday, but he's just not saved yet. And then she got a big smile on her face. There's something powerful about the word yet. I know a couple and they're in a severe marital problems right now and her last communication to me said uh, it's not any better yet it's not any better yet well, that tells me it's it's coming it's just not yet for some of us today you need to hear that that your yet is coming 
but you need to wait for it. Jeremiah said, I, I wait on him. Oh man, everything that's going on hurts so deeply, you know. I, it just feels like, God, you have picked on me. You haven't answered my prayers. You're taking cheap shots at me. You've run me over by a truck. Yet, I know that you are a God who's going to keep his promises. And there's something very powerful in our lives when we need hope to start rising in our hearts when you get to the yet in your prayer. Oh, again, be honest. Say everything that you're feeling. God already knows what you're feeling. But at some point in your prayer, you have to utter the word yet. And then just see what follows from your heart. You might be surprised. It might be exactly what you need to hold on with that white knuckle intensity I talked about earlier. It's a true story. It was in the newspaper. It was way back in 1987. But there was a commuter flight that was going from Portland, Maine to Boston. It didn't have any passengers on it, but there was a pilot and a co-pilot. The pilot's name was Henry Dempsey, if you want to look this up later. Henry Dempsey, as they took off, he and the co-pilot started hearing a rattle in the back of the plane. It was something really not, you know, it did not bring them any comfort. They're like, something's wrong. And the pilot told the co-pilot, you take over, I'm going to walk back and see what's, what's rattling. He got to the back of the plane, and just as he did, they hit a quick air pocket, which jarred the plane, which threw Henry Dempsey into the rear door. And it was at that point that he realized what was rattling. The door was insufficiently locked. And that door kicked open, and he was sucked out of the airplane. Now, what the co-pilot didn't know is that as Henry Dempsey was uh, sucked out, he managed to grab on to the ladder. And with a white knuckle intensity, he just held onto that ladder hanging outside of that small plane. The co-pilot, all of a sudden, all the warning lights went off. All of a sudden, there's all this wind in the cockpit. He looked back down the aisle. He didn't see the pilot. He assumed the worst. He immediately went on the radio. He said, I need an emergency landing. The rear hatch is open. The pilot is missing. He goes, you might want to send a helicopter to look for him. And he brought the airplane down to a small airport and landed it safely. But all of the emergency vehicles rushed out to be there as the plane came to a stop. And when they pulled up, they saw Henry Dempsey hanging underneath the plane on that ladder with his head just about 12 inches from the pavement. The article finished with this, and it made me laugh. The article said, it took several moments for the airport personnel to pry his hands loose from the ladder. I was like, I bet it did. In your life, are, are there any possessions in your life that are worth hanging on to with that level of white knuckle intensity? Probably not. The one thing that you want to hang on to and drill down deep, drill your roots down in deep, is to hang on to God. Even when there's turmoil, even when there's turbulence, even when the skies turn dark, even when there's a struggle, the struggle you're feeling right now is real. And don't get caught in a trap of thinking that nobody else knows what I'm going through. That would be wrong. But what maybe you need to hear this morning from God is his promise. You will get through this. There's probably a good chance you're sitting close to somebody, maybe beside you, in front of you, behind you, who could really use that message right now. I'm going to ask you to just turn to somebody around you and just look at them and say, you'll get through this. Do it right now. 
beside you. Lean, lean, lean forward, lean forward. Tell somebody in front of you, just do it right now. So, turn around. Is there anybody sitting by themselves? Make sure they get heard. You will get to, did you see what just happened? There's something about the message, you will get through this, that is very positive and it brings a smile to our face. People who said it need it to say it. People who heard it need it to hear it. Hope is rising. It's rising here in Lincoln. It's rising here at our church. And it's rising now in you. You're going to get through this, all right?